Good morning. It's good to be with you today. It's good to bring God's word to you. We're looking at Acts chapter 6, continuing in our study. And uh, you can turn to page 914 if you're using one of the Bibles here at the church. I believe it will be projected, but you might want to turn in your Bibles or your phones uh, to this text, Acts chapter 6, so you'll have it there in front of you. Acts chapter 6, we'll read verses 1 to 7 this morning. All right, let's open our time with prayer. Dear Lord, Father, we ask you that you be with us this morning. We thank you, God, that you give us your word, that it is a deep, deep mind full of riches. We want to seek you there, and we know, Lord, that you promise to reveal yourself to us there. So, Lord, cause us to fall even deeper in love with you this morning as we search in your word. And, Lord, teach us how uh, to defend the unity of this body, our church. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Acts chapter 6, beginning... Verse 1, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Reading from God's word. In his commentary on this text, Uh, Kent Hughes tells the story of a large church in Texas that split, with each half going to the courts to claim the church building. And the, the civil courts eventually gave up on this case and handed it over to the church courts to decide. And as the church courts investigated the matter, they learned that the source of the split began at a church fellowship meal. One of the elders unfortunately received a smaller slice of ham than the young child next to him. It's hilariously sad, isn't it? Unfortunately, the local newspapers also learned about that certain slice of ham And so the whole community was laughing at the church, and Christ was dishonored. 
This story is an example of how dangerous division can be in the church and and how divisions can begin with even the smallest and the silliest of things. A failure to thank someone for working hard on something. A, A critical comment overheard. A motivation that seems questionable. Someone overlooked Here in Acts 6, there appear to be some people who are overlooked. And so we get a chance to see how the young church responds to defend their unity. And let's be clear, this church, this church is under attack, right? Over the last two chapters, we've seen them attacked in three different ways. First, beginning of chapter 5, we see them attacked with moral corruption, Ananias and Sapphira bring lies and hypocrisy into their midst. And then we see further in chapter 5 that they're attacked from the outside with persecution from the Jewish leaders. We looked at that last week. And then here in chapter 6, we see the church as it grows attacked administratively. The devil seeking to divide them and divert their attention. But the apostles defend the church's unity. And so how do they do that? Well, first, good communication. So that will be our first point today. Good communication. Now, this text actually begins with a failure in communication. There's this complaint that arises in the church, right? Verse 1. And it might be better to translate this word grumbling or murmuring because the word doesn't indicate that some sort of like official formal complaint came to the apostles, but rather there was some behind-the-scenes talk going on. Sort of like when a a parent uh, says something stern to their child and the child sort of Uh, says some sort of very disapproving things in mutters, and you you can't really hear what they say, but you know they are muttering about something they don't like about their parent. This is not the type of communication that seeks resolution and healing. This is the type of communication that Scripture condemns and that we should fight in our churches and in our families. It leads to dissatisfaction, to bitterness, and to division. Now, just to explain the complaint briefly, you can see there are these two groups mentioned uh, in verse 1, right? We've got the Hellenists, and then we've got the Hebrews. And it, and it seems like at that time, there were sort of the real Jews who, who spoke uh, Aramaic, which was a form of Hebrew, and they maintained, you know, the, much of the traditions, the dress, the culture of their ancestors. And then there were these Hellenistic Jews, who spoke Greek and had adopted many of the Greek customs. Probably a lot of these Hellenistic Jews had been dispersed to other countries at some point in their history, and they picked up the Greek language and culture, and then they came back to Jerusalem. And and now this cultural division, which was in the Jewish community, had continued into the Christian church uh, and was a, a place of possible division. I'm sure you've seen this before. Wherever people are different, uh, distrust is, is, there's a a danger of distrust. So um, here's, there's a a language barrier, right? And there's a cultural barrier. So 
there's this strong, strong potential for uh, misunderstandings or even for uh, discrimination. And, of course, the text doesn't indicate that these widows were being uh, neglected deliberately. It doesn't say that. And, and based on the way that the apostles respond, it's, it does seem more likely that this was a problem of poor administration. Uh, maybe, possibly, there wasn't even an actual problem, but just a, a rumor or, uh, or perhaps some sort of mix-up that was going on. But, but here's the key, no matter what was actually happening... The key is good communication takes muttering seriously. It doesn't matter if it's just a mix-up or a serious sin issue. Uh, Remember that piece of ham that got out of control, right? The church cannot afford to ignore even things that might seem small or unimportant. And so in verse 2, the disciples show us what good communication looks like by calling everyone together for a meeting. They want to address this issue publicly right in front of everyone. But they don't just say, hey guys, what do you think we should do? Right? They, they come up with a plan that takes the problem seriously. They, they don't show up clueless, not having done their homework. They show up with a plan ready to, to solve this issue. But notice what else they do. They involve the congregation. They involve the congregation. After all, the congregation needs to trust these people. There's a concern about unfair treatment. The people need buy-in, right? They they need to be able to say, yeah, these are guys that we trust. And so the apostles give them qualifications. They promise to appoint the men they choose, and then they say, "You, you choose them. You pick these guys out. We reflect this same principle in our own church, Our pastors, our elders, our deacons have to meet certain qualifications and they're appointed, they're ordained by the other leaders, but they're chosen by the congregation. And so, as Jonathan mentioned earlier, this Saturday, 28th, dinner at 6 p.m., meeting starts at 6.30, you will vote on several elders and deacons as well as lay trustees. And by voting yes, you're saying, yeah, these people are qualified And I trust them to serve this congregation well. Not perfectly. The apostles here give us a a good example of communication. And this is wonderful. I mean, they're they're careful. They are are compassionate here, right? They don't dismiss the, the complaint about these widows. But... Uh, remember that the apostles have not always been known for their compassion, right? Just think back to some of their adventures with Jesus. Uh, You may remember them telling uh, little kids that they are not welcome, that Jesus is too busy for them, or uh, sending non-Jews away, or, or, you know, making unkind comments about vulnerable people, or arguing about who was the greatest, or, or... Asking Jesus, you know, what kind of special rewards are we going to get for being your followers? But what do we see here? Here we see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, don't we? The Lord changing them and praise God that he does 
change people. Your leaders here at Covenant, we need the Spirit's work in our hearts too. I've been an elder here long enough to know that we have not always communicated well with each other and with you. And we would ask you to be patient with us, to forgive us, and to pray for us. I think it's important to say that any Christian leader who says they believe the gospel but lives in front of their followers as if they're perfect is in danger of undermining their very message. Your leaders are not perfect. We need God's forgiveness and we need your forgiveness for not always leading you well. But now a second thing we see the apostles do here is we see them Guard biblical priorities. Guard biblical priorities. So this will be my second point. And the apostles really teach us two things about biblical uh, priorities here. On the one hand, okay, on the one hand, they show us that the priorities of a specific calling must be guarded. Right? So for them, they're called to minister God's word. That's what they say here. That's their priority. They can't be diverted from it, even for uh, things that are really important. Um, they're not denigrating the work of caring for people. They're not saying we're too good for that sort of thing. They're just saying we can't take away time from the ministry of the word and prayer, right? They add prayer in that later section, uh, speaking to God and speaking for God to the people. So there's a, a biblical priority that's specific to their calling. In, in our church's case, this is going to be analogous to the work of the elders. We don't have the office of uh, apostle anymore. You had to be with Jesus through his ministry to be an apostle. Uh, so the elders that we do have, they have similar functions, right? They lead the church as under-shepherds, and they speak to God for the church in prayer and for God to the church through the ministry of the word, through preaching, through uh, counseling, and through teaching. So our elders, and especially our pastors, must not be pulled away from this work. That is their priority, On the other hand, though, this is the other thing we, we see here about, about uh, biblical priorities. It shows us that the church's priorities must also be guarded, and the church's priority is that both of these areas of ministry should receive attention. In other words, right, that the ministry of the word, that's a priority of the church. It's, it's fundamental. It's how the church grows. When the word is faithfully taught, the church grows, but the church also needs to care for its members' needs. Or else, why would the apostles respond so strongly here? Under the direction of the Spirit, they established an entirely new office in the church of God. This is, this is clearly an important issue. This is the origin of the deacons that we see here. In, in Acts 6, and it's, and it's significant. There's actually a parallel drawn here between the work of deacons and the work of elders. Here, apostles, but analogous to elders. So we see in verse 2, it says, serve tables there, describing the work of deacons. And the, the Greek word there for serve is diakonia. 
And then down in verse 4, it describes uh, the work of the apostles as the ministry of the word. And again, the Greek word there is diakonia. So you have diakonia tables, the work of the deacons, and diakonia the word, the work of the elders. These are the, the two pillars in the structure of the church that remind us of our priorities. And these priorities are actually not new for God's people. It's the same with God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, the ministry of the word, Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You should, should teach them diligently, talk about them all the time, put them on your hands, your eyes, your, your house door, right? And then also the ministry of care. We see that all over the Old Testament. God giving rule after rule to his people about how to care for the the orphans, for the widows, and for the refugees in their midst. And they're continually called out when they fail to show compassion, to show mercy for these groups in their midst. We need to embrace these same priorities as we respond to grumblings or complaints or even just suggestions about what we should be doing as a church. We need to ask ourselves, are the priorities of our elders being protected? Are the priorities of our deacons being protected? And is our church pursuing both of these goals? And I think it's helpful even just to step back from Uh, this particular text for a second and ask ourselves in the full context of God's story, why are these two priorities so central for God's church? Why do we see care for souls through the ministry of the word and, and care for bodies through the ministry of the table lifted up both in the Old Testament and the New Testament as the primary tasks of the church? The answer is that The church has good news for both soul and body, right? Within the very structure of God's church, elders, deacons, we see a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus redeems both your soul and your body from eternal punishment. Jesus does not promise you simply a a perfect soul. You could float around in heaven for eternity, and no, He also promises to redeem your body. He delivers all who confess his name, body and soul. Now there is a distinction here because the body is not renewed in the same time frame as the soul, but uh, that is a different sermon. So let's move on to my third point here. Thirdly, Thirdly, we need to see The apostles respond by delegating responsibility. Delegating responsibility. In verse 5, the church chooses five, or sorry, seven qualified men to serve in this new office that the apostles have created. And the apostles ordain them. They lay their hands on them, they set them apart for the work, and bless them. Um, And this delegation, of the work. This is such a crucial part of caring for a growing church and defending its unity. If the church is a growing organism, which is what the Bible tells us about the church, that's, that's how it describes the church, it, it needs a structure to grow on. Structure 
is provided by leaders. But there's, there's such a temptation for leaders to think, no one can do this the way I can. And so they get stuck with, with everyone leaning on them. Things get missed. Priorities get lost. And the devil moves in for the kill. Delegation is very important. Now, we've mentioned already what these guys are called to do. They're to care for the physical needs of the congregation. The phrase that describes this is in verse 2, that phrase, serve tables. And this is probably a specialized phrase that they used. The word here for table could be a table for food or for money. And so probably it's getting at both ideas. The idea is that they're distributing the resources of the church, right? And we've already seen in the book of Acts with Barnabas, we've seen it with Ananias and Sapphira, they would give the resources to the church so that they could be distributed to those in need. But I just want to put some flesh on the work of the deacons briefly. I heard a sermon on this text where the pastor mentioned an article by a guy named Cornelius Van Dam, and he writes this incredible paragraph on the work of the deacons. He says, Deacons are those who protect the communal joy of the congregation. Those who protect the communal joy of the congregation and who therefore see to it that the exercising of the communion of the saints with all that that implies, continues. Deacons are those who see to it that there are no forgotten or neglected people in the church of God or that there be none who are so bound and oppressed that the joy of salvation and release from all bondage in Christ is no longer apparent. They make sure that everyone can fulfill his or her calling as parents or members of the church because they are not disadvantaged. That's an exalted description of the work of the deacons. It sinks its teeth into what the goal of caring for people's bodies is actually for. It's, it's not just to make them comfortable, but to protect their ability to rejoice in the community of the church and to fulfill their calling as a Christian. You begin to understand why the apostles prioritized this work so much in, here in our text. It's important work. But now maybe some of you are thinking, maybe especially some of you who are deacons are thinking, whoa, that's a big task. And Van Dam goes on. When this is seen as the key character of the task of the deacons, it is also immediately obvious that the deacons cannot and should not do everything. No, the service for the joy of the covenant people is a service in which all are to be involved, although the deacons are to give leadership and guidance. And this brings us right back to the delegation that the apostles show us here because it becomes obvious that the work of the elders and deacons is to further delegate and pass on the task of ministering the word and the table to the congregation. Every once in a while I hear about someone in the church who has cared for another member really well without anyone really knowing about it. Or, or I hear a member remind another uh, member about something, some point from the sermon that past week, without any leader needing to say to these people, hey, 
Can you make sure someone talks to that person or any committee need to get together and say, hey, you know, there's this person. We really need to, let's get a plan together, right? There's nothing wrong with these formal ways of helping people. We, we need them. They're the structure that the church grows on. But every part of the plant also holds up the other parts of the plant. If we truly want to see our congregation maintain its joy and unity, uh, we all need to be engaged in this work. The work of ministering the word and serving the table. When all these things when all these things are happening, when, when leaders are seeking to communicate well and repenting when they fail, when the biblical priorities that the, the leader is, is called to are protected and the biblical priorities that the church is called to are protected, when the work of caring for body and soul is being delegated first to leaders and then to all of you, the Lord will Grow us. Maybe not in numbers. That's okay. We've got plenty of wonderful people here right now. But he will grow us in faith, in hope, in love. The world will look and they will see a consistent message just like the whole city of Jerusalem. They're looking at this church and they're seeing a consistent People are joining them that have never joined these priests at the end of the text. They see this consistent message, people who say they love each other and prove it by caring for one another, protecting their communal joy and the proclamation of the word of God, which brings glory to Jesus, will grow. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so grateful to you for your words to us, reminding us the importance of defending our unity, defending the joy of our community. Lord, we pray you'd lead us in uh, pursuing good communication, in making sure we're paying attention to our priorities as, as given to us in your word. What we're to be about, the ministry of the word, caring for the souls of your people and the ministry of the table, Lord, caring for the bodies of your people. A consistent picture of the gospel, Lord. You who care for us, body and soul. Through Christ, you have redeemed us. And Lord, in our gratefulness, we seek to grow as a church in faith and in hope and in love. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.